I look for trajectory and vision. Hi, this is Alice. This is Shafali, and you're listening to Pedzamit. Alice, today we are back for part two with Dr. Stephen Teach, who, just as a reminder, is our chair of pediatrics. He is an emergency medicine physician, and he is the D.C. site principal investigator for the NIH and NIAID-funded Inner City Asthma Consortium. Yes, and today he is going to finish his lecture from the previous episode by closing out with K-grants, R01s, a case study of a faculty member who sort of walks along this ladder, and... And then I ask him what he's looking for in a faculty hire, and he tells us. So That's awesome. I feel like this is information that we truly cannot get anywhere else, and we're so excited for part two. We are so excited. What about K Awards? K Awards are that, are that sort of the holy grail of every young faculty member, of every senior level fellow. You know, I want to get a K Award. Why do you want to get a K Award? Well, you want to get a K award because K awards protect 75% of your time as a junior faculty member and come with a modest additional stipend. Really amazing awards. And if you play your cards right, you can end up as a K awardee for six or even seven years before you get your first R01. They are really, really quite incredible, credible awards. As I said earlier, guys, though, it is a rookie mistake and a big time rookie mistake to think of K awards or to think of the R38 award, which underlies the STAR program, as solely research awards. These are mentored career development awards. They are 50% at least career development activities and 50% a research project, for which under the K award, you get 75% protected time. If you, when you write your K award, describe it as a research award, it will not be funded. You need to describe it as a mentored career development award. And we've gotten very, very good at that. They come in two flavors. The institutional K award, which are generally two to three years long, and the individual K awards, which are generally four to six years long. And yes, you can have both. It is a common pathway to start on a K-12 or a KL-2 and then graduate to a K-23. So let's talk a little bit about that. The K-12 award that we have right now is the example of an award given to a senior faculty member by an institute or center at the NIH who then distributes that money and those uh, opportunities to faculty members on a competitive basis. So right now we have, and I'm actually the PI on this award, it's my award, something called the NIH, NICHD, National Institute for Child Health and Human Development, Child Health Research Career Development K-12 Award. It is a three or sometimes two, but mostly three-year award given to junior faculty members on a competitive base, but it's awarded within Children's National. So you can't get this award unless you're a pediatrician at Children's National. And it's not even a a pediatric subspecialist like a surgeon or a urologist. 
you have to have done a pediatric residency in order to qualify for these. So that's just something to know. And every year we have a number of people funded by these. Right now we have Terry Dean, who's an attending in the PICU. We have Giannis Kortrolis, who's an attending in emergency medicine. Adora Lynn, who's an allergy and immunology attending. And very recently we had Jamie Frazier, who's genetics metabolism. And we had Katie Forrester, who has actually left, unfortunately, Children's National, but was another hospitalist physician. All have been on the K-12 recently. The KL-2 is a similar award, operates just like our K-12, but is available to all faculty members, surgeons, psychiatrists, everybody at Children's National, including pediatricians, and operates much the same way. The individual K awards are given directly to individuals by the NIH institutes and centers. They come in two big flavors, a lot of variety here. The K-23, which are clinical and translational research, and K-08, which are lab and early translational research. But the thing to know here is that every institute and every center gives their own awards. So you kind of need to know exactly what research you're doing, and that's where, where mentorship plays such a big role. Just looking forward, one of the things that you'll hear about as your professional journey moves forward, whether you stay at Children's National or go elsewhere, you will hear about what's called the K-SIG, or the K-Special Interest Group. This is a group of more senior fellows and junior faculty members who are what I call K-Wannabes. So these are young clinician scientists who want to get a K-Award and want to be part of a group who is moving in that direction. It gives you access to a lot of group mentorship and mentorship from senior faculty members, and it gives you access to our catalog of successful K applications so that you can literally take a successful K application and as a Word document, and you have the entire framework of the application and simply start cutting and pasting your own science and your own career development activities over the, the template, if you will, of a, of a previously successful award. Most centers do that. And by modeling a successful award, you dramatically increase your own opportunities of being successful. Before I go any further on the K Awards, it's probably really important to talk about the R38. The R38 is actually, in my mind, a K Award, just masquerading under the R mechanism. The R38 awards at Children's National fund the STAR program. You can ask Drs. Delaney, Dr. Patel, Dr. McClenny, all of whom have been or will be part of the STAR program. This gets at the idea that you, you sort of hit the pause button. I always talk about it during your clinical time with us as a resident and do a year or, or even two years of mentored research before you then jump into fellowship uh, later on. K awards, a typical path is to start with an institutional K award and then transition to an independent K award. You know, again, our K special interest group, uh, regular meetings, feedback on aims. And I think the biggest part of it is a library of successful awards. Our awards, our awards generally follow K awards or other career development awards. Opportunities vary by institute and centers. They are offered in two flavors, a lot of exceptions to this, but generally two flavors. One is a program announcement, oftentimes jointly sponsored by multiple different institutes and centers. 
So it could be sponsored by the National Cancer Institute, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, the National Center for Research Resources, the National Center for the Advancement of Clinical and Translational Science, and the National Institute for Child Health and Human Disease. They may all come together to sponsor a program announcement focused on you know, early life development of vascular disease or something, some, an interest which might cross across multiple institutes and centers. It's called a program announcement. There's no set aside, so they haven't designated a certain number of dollars to support those awards. And so you'll hear about those program announcements. You will also hear what people oftentimes call RFAs or requests for applications. They're when a a particular institute or, or one or more institutes or centers comes together with a special interest. Let's say that they are interested in immunologic aspects of SARS-CoV-2. And this might be jointly sponsored by the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease and the National Center for Clinical and Translational Science. And they have put, a, put up um, you know, $50 million to jointly sponsor you know, 20 awards at $50,000 each for two years. And that's, that's how they're going to, going to fund that. And that, you know, applying to that, that they're, how many awards they're going to give and how much money they're going to spend. That's the request for applications. These, you know, at the, at the highest level kind of come in three flavors, guys, the R awards do. The R01 is kind of the jewel in the crown. They're generally five years at $250,000 per year. They are highly competitive with a pay line of only 10 to 15%. That means of the universe of applications submitted as R01s to the NIH institutes and centers, only 10 to 15% of them overall are funded. Young investigators, the so-called early stage investigators, get get a premium. So they get a point boost and their pay line is going to be significantly higher than that. People who've had R01s in the past, their pay line is going to be significantly higher than that. You'll realize that the actual pay line varies on the, by the apples to apples comparison, but um, the take-home message is that R01s are incredibly competitive. And the best way to position yourself for success is to have developed a career based on the sort of, you know, T to K to R uh, uh, pipeline. R23s are high risk, high reward, less requirement for preliminary data. They tend to be shorter, less money per year, higher pay lines. R03s are are smaller still. They're generally two years at $100,000 total, $50,000 per year. They're generally sort of considered add-on grants for when you do want to do additional data analysis and you need some protected time to do that and perhaps to hire some fancy statistical help uh, to do that. So high level view of, of the R awards. These are the R awards, protected time with a grant for independent investigators. You can have an R23, an R01, or an R03. They're really R01s and R03 awards. One, the R23, is three years at $100,000 per year. There's less risk and less reward because fewer preliminary data are required. Two, an R01. This is the jewel in the crown. This is five years at $250,000 per year. The actual payout, however, for each R01 or R01 varies. 
Institutions love these because for every $1 in your R01 award, the NIH gives about 70 cents to Children's National directly. The institutional overhead cost for each institution varies, but your hospital's getting money if you bring in an R01, separate from the money that the NIH gives you. Only 10 to 15% of applications are funded, and young investigators get a point boost. Last, they got the R03 award. This is an add-on grant for data analysis. Investigators will apply for this award if they need just like two extra years to analyze data that they've already collected. I wanted to now sort of put this all together, guys, as kind of a an example of a journey, example of a journey that one of you may go on. This is sort of partially based in truth, sort of knit together from case studies that I'm aware of here at Children's National. Let's say a pediatric resident completes an R38, that's the CN STAR program, under the mentorship of a faculty member who's a heme attending. And uh, she looks at uh, clinical predictors of acute chest syndrome and sickle cell disease using a, a huge database that that heme attending has put together but never analyzed. And along the way, that R38 scholar has learned about REDCap, has learned about uh, SAS programming, has learned some about predictive modeling, and even a bit about uh, artificial intelligence, taken a bunch of courses in that regard. And then as a, a fellow in HEMOG, she completes um, a T32 doing a retrospective chart review, examining the role of multiple different serum, specific serum biomarkers in the prediction of acute chest syndrome in, in patients with sickle cell disease. So she has a a strong interest in this, and she's now layered her clinical predictive model into a um, into a biomarker predictive model, and gets quite uh, sophisticated uh, with this stuff. As a new faculty member, she then gets a pilot award from the Clinical and Translational Science Institute at Children's National to get similar data, but now prospectively in a cohort of high risk patients in the hematology clinic. So she spends a couple of years building a new database that is assembled prospectively, sort of informed by what she did as a resident and a fellow, right? And she is, of course, building her, her data set to get a KL2. And so data from that project serves as the basis for a successful CTSI CNKL2 application. And it is in, as a KL2 scholar that she really gets busy and gets learns all the sophisticated new AI modeling techniques and applies it to her growing data set. She then applies for and transitions to her own NHLBI K23 award, goes on further, final year of her K23. She submits an R01 application for a multi-center, really complex modeling project of risk for acute chest syndrome, which is scored, but not well-funded. She then goes on to get a bridge award from our research in institute, continues her K-level funding while she responds to the comments of her R01 submission and her R01 is funded on the second attempt. This is uh, modeled on a real life story of an attending here at Children's National. Final thought guys, it's a tough journey. It's a long, tough journey. Expect disappointment, ask for help. The single hardest grant application that you will ever write, that you will ever write in your whole life is your first one. And that's even if it's just the R38 award, it is the hardest one you will ever write. The second one is easier. The third one is easier still. 
you will be denied far more grant applications than you receive. Keep throwing clods of mud against the wall until one eventually sticks. We all do this. I am always planning my next grant application because I know the ones that I have in submission, my hit rate is gonna be less than 50%. The sure way to not get a research grant award is to never apply for one. So that was probably way, way more than I should have tried to accomplish, but it is uh, quite a uh, extensive tour. I don't even think there's any time for questions. Is there, Mark? First, thank you, Dr. Teach, for such a nice like, beginner guide sort of vibe to all this. I think a lot of us can get kind of analysis paralysis hearing all these different terms and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think you've stuck to a few mantras to, to keep home and keep throwing that those clods of mud. <laughs> A lot of them. Make sure, they're, make sure they're real sticky. We'll see if anybody has any quick questions. Um, so my question for you is if you're looking, so if you're on the committee, you're looking at an application for an emergency department faculty position, what general criteria do you need to see on their CV before you offer them a research heavy digital start package? So yeah, when you think about, oh, they, you know, they either published in residency or they didn't, they either did research prior to or during residency or they didn't. And then what would they need to have accomplished during their fellowship time? What an awesome question, uh, Alice. And I'll try to be brief. I look for trajectory and vision, trajectory and vision. Has that prospective new faculty member used her time going way back to establish a track record of saying, you know, I am committed to putting the tools in my toolbox that I need to succeed. I know how to to write a manuscript. I know how to articulate a clear vision of what I'm interested in. I know what I'm moving forward to. I am collaborative. I am easy to, to mentor. I understand my strengths and I understand my own limitations. And you know what? I'm going to work like hell, you know, Dr. Simpson, in this case, to to make you proud. And and my definition of success will be getting a K award scored, if not funded, by the end of my second or third year with you. And if you invest in me, I will do everything possible to sort of, you know, make you proud. So it's trajectory and vision. And you sort of know it when you see it, Alice, you know. The answer, I would love to see that person be coming off of a T award at a really competitive residency and, and, you know, have written two or three manuscripts in that regard. But, you know, you kind of know it when you see it almost, Alice. That makes sense. I think um, one more final thank you again, Dr. Teach, for joining us. Uh, Thanks again, Dr. Teach. You bet, guys. And, And, you know, in this world, there is never such a thing as a dumb question. So um, nobody really, when you come into it, understands this incredibly complicated alphabet soup. So I love people who come to me and say, look at, you know, what should I be exploring as funding opportunities as fill in the blank, a resident, a, a fellow, a junior attending, and what kind of trajectory and pathway might be reasonable for me to think about? I love questions like that because it allows me to give a very individualized response to the question. So network, network, network. Well, that was great. Oh my gosh. I have never, nobody's ever put it together for me like that. I really appreciated it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, I feel like that really demystified that topic for me. Mm -hmm. It's been sort of a big question mark in my head before this. So I'm very grateful that we got a chance to sit down with him. Yeah. This is the, usually the part in the episode where we ask you to follow us on social media. But today I say, turn on your computers, <laughs> open up that Microsoft Word document, and get cracking on your manuscript. Yes. 
always be publishing. ABP. 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 <laughs> um, and it also, if you do follow us on social media, we won't say no. It's just not our priority. Have them Instagram. <laughs> We're not going to block you, but we want exactly. you to be publishing. Exactly. As always, let us know if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. We are excited to hear from you and we will see you next time. See you next time. 